Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Welcome back to Diet Culture Dropout. I hope everyone's having a great day. Today, we are going to be talking about our inner critic. And all of us have this long-term relationship with this voice inside our mind. And we don't always know how to improve it or change it. So today, I'm joined with Julie Gerber. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm definitely excited to be here and to talk about all of that that nasty inner critic that we all have and it becomes louder or quieter or it just is always in the background for some people. So I'm super excited to just cover all things inner critic. Yeah. I'm excited to get going, but before we get going, can you let listeners know a little bit more about who you are, Julie, where you're located and how you got into the work that you do on the daily? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, you know, from that professional lens, I am a registered social worker. I have my master's in social work and I am in London, Ontario, and I have been here for quite some time, over over 10 years or so. And just kind of a little bit of around who am I in terms of my career and why I kind of entered this field. When I was in my university, you know, career, I really kind of had to contemplate what is it that I want to proceed with. And there was, you know, of course, many different careers that looked intriguing. But to be honest, I really had to do a lot of inner reflection to understand what resonates with me. And I finally actually decided to pursue a career connected with eating disorders. And I will, you know, share a little brief 
story around that is I had an eating disorder when I was about probably 13, just that transition from grade eight into high school. And I, you know, had, you know, thankfully a family that was able to support me and there was care here in London, although it looks very different than what it did that many, many, many years ago. However, you know, I went through a lot through my diagnosis, my treatment. And then I did reach a place where I always called it management, where I feel like I kind of was able to manage some of the symptoms, but it never actually disappeared for me for quite some time until much later on in my life. And that's where I was, you know, in university and beginning to decide what, what am I going to do here with my life? I actually had to open that door back up because I had really closed that door. It was almost that sense of, I wanted to forget that phase of my life, move on. That's not me anymore. But then, yeah, I, I opened it up, but that actually meant that I had to go dive back in and do some more inner work because if I was going to enter that as a career, I could no longer be at a place. I, I personally didn't feel I could sit at a place of being at management. I really actually needed to be at a place of recovered period and beyond. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to get there. So eventually, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I got there and I felt good about that bumps in the road. And then I eventually started my career after graduating and I entered into working with an amazing team here in London of many other clinicians, all different disciplines and being a primary founder of an eating disorder program here in London, Ontario. And I stayed with that program for many, many years, close to probably 10 years when I reached just a different point in my career. I was seeing aspects of treatment that I wanted to maybe offer differently or look at differently. So I had to, again, make that decision and I pursued some additional training. So I decided actually to do some training in Australia. I wasn't actually physically there. It was virtual where it was called consciousness coaching. Mm -hmm. And that was a game changer for me because I had actually worked with an, in, a mentor who designed and, and developed consciousness coaching. Her name is Erica. And I worked with her personally to move through some heavy relationships and breakups. And I seen how it actually benefited me greatly. And I knew this is my path. This is what I've been looking for and, and how I want to offer the same support and spiritual healing that I got to those that were dealing with whether it was disordered eating, eating disorders. And, uh, and ultimately it sort of shifted me into this body, body confidence, inner critic, self-love lens. So mm -hmm. once I was able to get that training and then open up my business, I stepped away from the intensive eating disorder role because it just was no longer aligning for me. So that's where I'm at now. And I've been doing, I, I kind of move away from the word coaching. Yes, I have the training to be a therapist, but I think that also doesn't represent the work that I'm actually doing. I, you know, bounce between I'm a mentor, I'm a coach, I am a spiritual guide because I offer that support in such a 
a unique lens to clients. So I'm really working a lot with clients individually and I have hosted a few workshops Mm -hmm. Um, and ultimately, yeah, that topic of inner critic really comes up pretty much. I would say, and yeah, like in, in most of my sessions to some degree Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. lots of times people don't identify it as the inner critic. And once, once we're able to kind of give a bit of a voice to that, they can see how, how it plays out, how it manifests in their day-to-day life and in their relationships and their relationships with themselves and their body. Sure. Yeah. I can't think of like just my caseload right now. Like everyone has some challenges with their inner critic for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. I'm so excited to get chatting. Okay, <laughs> great. So it's really sounds like you've had a lot of personal work and then extension of professional work as well too to where you're at mm-hmm. now. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Great. And then the next question I like bringing to light is if you can identify any privileges or identities you have that are maybe helpful for listeners to understand. Mm-hmm. I know I, I sort of briefly mentioned it. I, I've, absolutely. I had the privilege to have access to different different treatments when I was going through my struggle as, as a teenager. But even today, you know, I often engage in all forms of whether it's training so I can be a better teacher or mentor to others or it's inner work. And, you know, I just actually returned from an ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica. And that's not necessarily access that everyone has to. And that, that was actually a dream that I've had for probably five plus years. And it was finally the time and the financial aspect lined up. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I would say that those, you know, obviously I am extremely and beyond grateful for the chance to engage in a lot of the different therapies and modalities that I've been able to have access to. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. And because we're just trying to give people examples of how diet culture comes up for everybody, probably every day, can you give Mm -hmm. us an example personally for you of how it's maybe come up lately? Yeah, it's been an interesting two months for me. I know I, I know I kind of said, I really worked before I entered the career of eating disorders. I definitely worked to ensure that I was recovered period beyond. Yeah. And the last, I would say in two months, I had to undergo surgery to remove fibroids, which are non-cancerous growth around my uterus. And they, there was, they were large, there was a significant amount of them. So actually that decision to do that really kind of, I would say triggered some body and eventually some diet culture issues because leading up to the surgery, it also meant I was going to be left with a significant scar. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it triggered just how am I going to relate to my body? Is that going to bother me? Mm -hmm. Uh, But yet there was something within my body that I felt needed to be removed. So I really had to dive into some self-love around, around my body before that surgery. Mm-hmm. And then following the surgery, some diet stuff came in because I was preparing for this ayahuasca retreat. And if people don't know much about that, I mean, I'm not the expert in, in <laughs> telling all the aspects of it. However, there's a pretty clear protocol going into such retreat where they do encourage you to adjust your diet. So they're very clear about limiting meat products 
and moving in the direction of a more plant-based diet. It is not restrictive or enforced that if you choose to maybe eat some meat products that you're not going to be able to tend. No, it's just more of having, having the ability to work through that. So I did, I did focus on being probably a little bit more plant-based diet. And what triggered me interestingly enough is that an ex-boyfriend in my life hadn't seen me for a few months and they saw me and they made a comment about my body. Mm. And right away I was like, oh, I, I like that comment too much. And, and am I going to associate that with the changes that I've had to make leading up to this retreat. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I worked, I, I definitely worked through that. I acknowledged it right away Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and, and had to actually release that because that, that comment was not actually helpful for me, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was intended to be or not. And the, the complexities of that relation itself was, was more based on that comment than, than the truth of what was actually occurring for me. So I would say that was one of those interesting triggers that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Those are really unique ones. Definitely the medical Mm -hmm. procedure one. And we haven't got that Mm -hmm. yet, but that makes a lot of sense how, yeah, body's going to go in one way and come out differently. So how can we relate and accept Mm -hmm. and work around that? Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. All right. So today's topic is all about how to improve your inner critic. So Julie is expert in this. So can you maybe start us off with (laughs) what is an inner critic? What is this like common narrative or voice people Mm -hmm. have stored up in their heads? Chatting away. Yeah. Yeah, And and this, you know, of course, I'm not going to own this. I was actually reading something the other day and I can't remember. And I liked how they framed the inner critic as that roommate that's living within, Mm. (laughs) within your mind. Uh, It was an interesting way to, to look at the inner critic. Um, And for me, when I often talk to clients, you know, I talk about the inner critic, you know, of course, being that critical voice that you are constantly hearing. And it's that wounded part of yourself that is essentially got the driver's seat and is constantly attacking yourself, who you are, what you represent. And it's sometimes loud and it's sometimes even maybe a little bit quiet, but it's going on in your subconscious if you're, you know, if you're not paying attention to it. And I find, you know, based on the clientele that I often see, one of those bigger narrations around the inner critic is the not good enough. It's a Mm -hmm. very, very common one. And I see both ends of that where some clients will come in with that wounded part of themselves of always feeling that they weren't good enough. They weren't enough in their, in their childhood, in their life. And that still shows up today, whether it's in their relationships, their careers, their aspirations and their body, like that it's, it's there, it's loud. Um, Mm -hmm. and the other side is it, I have also seen clients where they have the opposite, where they come from of a, an inner critic that says I'm too much and too much and too much for people. Um, I'm, I have to dim my light. That's really uh, resonates mm-hmm. with me when, and, and for me, it's, it, I can bounce between both 
where I'm too much or I'm not enough, depending on the area in the life that I'm focusing. I think there's, there's times where particularly romantic relationships, it's, it's showing up as sometimes I'm too much, my, my needs, my wants, my vision of what the relationship might look like, or what I want it to look like can sometimes feel too much for my partner, but it doesn't actually mean I'm too much. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's distinguishing between that versus, you know, the self-love, the body confidence, etc that I can bounce between the I'm not good enough and and maybe that's you know played a role in my life and especially you know suffering from an eating disorder at, at a young age and working through that as well mm-hmm. yeah so just thinking too like how would you say not enough would be like linked to like perfectionism too probably mm-hmm. right so yeah and that comparative nature Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dimming, dimming your light in, in sure. many ways. Oh, and, and not using, utilizing your voice. I, it's interesting when I do see, you know, a lot of women right now and they might have a lot of body insecurities. And then as we dive into other areas of their life, oftentimes, you know, the way it shows up too, is in their, their profession, where they might have a very creative idea or they might be in a meeting or something and they want to say something, but mm-hmm. the critical voice in them says, you know, you don't know enough. You're not right. smart enough. You're, mm-hmm. they know more than you. And, and that I can relate to, especially in my sort of first two, two, first two years in my career, I, I compared myself to you know, my colleagues who maybe were in the profession longer than that. And Mm -hmm. I was riddled sometimes with fear and anxiety of, okay, now I have to run this therapy group and I don't know enough. I don't know Mm -hmm. enough, right? I, I can't do this. What if something comes up and I don't know how to handle it? And, um, I'm not as good as, you know, my peer Mm -hmm. and that I find a lot of women that I'm currently working with are, are really diving through that of that professional lens. So it's in, yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, I can so relate to that. I remember my mm. first job at the family health team. One of the doc, like I was 22, like I was a baby. And <laughs> but we thought we I knew remember. It all. <laughs> well, I did, Maybe, but I, I didn't. <laughs> um, but I remember one of the doctors being like, How old are you? Like, you're so young. And I was just like crushed, like, I have to prove myself now. <laughs> Gotta know mm-hmm. all the things, but. That definitely feel that for me earlier in my career too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it how... still happens. It still happens later on in our career too. Oh yeah. Absolutely. As, as we, you know, yeah. I think all of us, right. So we true. start in one positions and then we take on new positions, whether it's a promotion or we do something completely different. Yeah. It sends us right back into that, that wounded part of ourselves that mm-hmm. hasn't yet really believed mm-hmm. in our worth. Yeah. So how does this inner critic get formed or like what influences it? Is it like early childhood, how you're Mm -hmm. appraised or appreciated? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. I will say for sure. A lot of the Mm -hmm. inner child, it's, it can, it very much is a learned, um, a learned response to your surroundings, your experiences and the beliefs and limiting beliefs too that are around you that unfortunately get passed on to you I I sometimes Mm -hmm. frame it in that way where 
it doesn't come from blame or shame. It's recognizing that, oh, maybe one of my parental figures had their own insecurities about themselves and their, their appearance or their body. Mm -hmm. And they unintentionally wrapped that up and passed it on to their child or, Mm -hmm. you know, someone in their surroundings and they passed it on through the way that they interact and the things that they sort of shine the light on, or were paying attention to the words that they use. I mean, I, I sometimes do struggle when I go to, you know, friends or family events, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when there is young children around and, and I hear some conversations where immediately yeah. my radar goes up, my inner critic, you know, wants to uh, stop, stop the, stop the dialogue, stop the narration that's happening. And, and I come back into compassion because I, I know that whatever people are saying or experiencing is actually something that came to them. It was passed on to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's actually, I want to share this example of this amazing person that I met just actually a week ago at this ayahuasca retreat. And she, you know, from the outside is st- absolutely, you know, stunning. Um, and she, I would say, exudes such femininity. And she, you know, and she, and I'm a fashion lover. So she had great style too. So that, <laughs> you know, yeah. I loved that. And she was probably, I would say a lot of people would characterize her, her as too much. Right? Mm-hmm. She, and she would, and she called herself. Um, I'm extra. So right away, I was picking up. Yeah, I was picking Mm -hmm. up as right. Someone in your life has called you those things. You're too much. You're extra. You're, you're a lot. You're a lot. And in this retreat, there's many of us, there's about 20 of us. And, and I could see other members getting triggered by her because there were things that she would do where she kind of commanded the space of a room. If she came in the room, she might not fully have full awareness of other people and she might interject and speak over someone. Okay. Yep. And to me, I, I saw literally this little girl standing there going, someone, please listen, see see me, see me, I'm here. And that's what I was able to actually drop in and see that where not everybody can see that. And I know her little girl was just screaming for someone to, to love her, to pay attention to her, to see her. And there she is as an adult woman who on the outside, people would, would label her as having it all. She's, she's looks a certain way, but they were repelled by her in, in certain elements. And it's interesting through the retreat, as she began to actually acknowledge what was going on in her mind and her critic, because every time she was intrusive or spoke over people, mm-hmm. that's when I knew, oh, your inner critic is as loud. It's loud. The louder you are mm-hmm. in reality and in the present, the louder your inner critic is. Mm-hmm. And your inner critic is telling you, something about you beating you down beating you up Mm -hmm. Um, 
Um, and it's so interesting. It was beautiful to see eventually. She yeah. got quieter, which meant her inner critic also got quieter. Mm-hmm. She, she dropped into more, more self-love, lots of work to still do. But mm-hmm. I thought that was such, such a good an example to share because sometimes yeah. people can't see that or they don't see how the inner critic is showing up for, for some people where mm-hmm. I, I know I have a, a friend very similar and she'll say it. People think I have it all together and that I have so much confidence. And she says, but it is a facade. It's a mask. She's like, and, and because we're so close and she'll share things, she is torturing herself with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the louder she is with her voice or her demeanor, her clothing choices, her, you know, fancy bags, everything. Mm-hmm. That's when I know. That's when I know she's, she's actually mm-hmm. deeply struggling when she yeah. can't, when she can't just relax, just be yeah, content mm-hmm. and show up exactly as you, how you are. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so it's kind of linked to that, like inner child work then, and that, that child. So mm-hmm. what is that? Yeah. Inner child work. Is that the modality? I don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is actually, mm-hmm. you know, and from my, you know, training in my, my master's, that isn't something yeah. that I was taught as, as okay. a therapist. It was something that I came into when I took the consciousness coaching, course where there was a big element to understanding inner child and how to identify that, how to create a relationship with your inner child Mm -hmm. and how to acknowledge him Mm -hmm. or her and then work through providing them a voice. So we don't want to immediately, you know, just go through this lens of, okay, well, they were never told they were good enough. Now, all of a sudden they need to be good enough. No, they, there has to, they have to go through an expression phase of expressing their pain, their hurt, their insecurities, their fears, um, and, and then eventually be able to move into self-forgiveness, mm-hmm. which is a lesson I'm currently moving through. And it's a hard one. It's a hard mm-hmm. word, especially when you finally are able to see such beauty in yourself and beauty in your inner child, not to get caught up again in that critical lens of how did I not how did I not see how amazing I actually was how did I ever treat my inner child so badly or make her believe she was Mm -hmm. less Mm -hmm. that's where the self-forgiveness piece is so important yeah Mm -hmm. self-forgiveness and then also is there also a layer of like forgiveness to you know the parents or the caregivers like that absolutely compassion yes compassion yeah that would be um yeah. And, and going back to kind of how I had said that it's sometimes that very unintentional passing on of something, mm-hmm. of course. then you get, yeah. to, you get to drop in to see, yes, I can be angry at whomever mm-hmm. passed that on to me. And, and it's important that I express that. It, not that you actually have to physically go and say yeah. that to that person. There's yeah. many ways that I can move people through that, but mm-hmm. then it's really important when you're ready to have some compassion because the reality is they also were, were passed on. Um, yep. It's just like that you know, cyclical the- generational passing. Yes. Of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. I find yeah. that work so fascinating. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. So how can people start modifying their inner critic or do you have any like top tips to mm-hmm. shift this dialogue or understanding of how we can be kinder or more compassionate to ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm all for some mindset work. I mean, that's, 
I would say a place to for sure start for some people, especially if they're not diet, they don't have the capacity to jump into some intensive one-to-one work or group work. Yes, you can do some mindset shifts, but it can be a bit challenging if we just go from, okay, all of a sudden I'm beating myself up to then jumping into, yes, I love myself. Mel Robbins, she's, if people aren't following her, she's, she's fabulous. I can't, the five, the high five rule or something. I, she wrote a book and, and I'm not saying it correctly, but I, I, again, this isn't mine, but I do love how she actually shares this five hive five, giving yourself a high five, um, okay. every day in the mirror. And I have used that technique with myself or, or, individuals that I'm working with that aren't ready to dive into the deeper layers that they just really want to start maybe a bit more gentler. Um, Mm -hmm. And essentially she talks about, yeah, when you get up in the, in the morning and you look in the mirror, rather than going through that Mm -hmm. scanning of self of, Oh, I have a blemish here, a gray hair here. Oh, I don't like my, my tire, my eyes look tired, this, that, right. Mm -hmm. It's actually, you know, very much again, coming back to that childhood, Uh, and and I have an eight-year-old niece and you walk up to her and be like man you did such a good job at whatever give me a high five how ecstatic are kids to give high fives like it's like love it Mm -hmm. so I love that and that analogy of giving yourself that same high five and it's Mm -hmm. to me what I you know do is it's a little spin of that's your that's your little child in that mirror Mm -hmm. and your adult self is that physical part and you are high-fiving that little mm-hmm. uh, inner child and passing on the, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of you because you got up this morning when maybe you didn't want to, right? Or I'm proud yeah. of you for not scanning through yourself and finding all blemishes or flaws. So that's a real like quick one that I've kind mm-hmm. of used and, and taken a spin on. I, I, the other thing for me when I am working with clients it's honestly, a lot of it is bringing full awareness to, to that critical self, the voice, the behaviors mm-hmm. and how that actually is showing up for them. I think of someone that I'm working with right now where she, she didn't identify with the inner critic initially, but after we you know were able to really look at things, she was, when it came down to things like, you know, even self-tanning. To her, she realized, oh, I do that because I'm criticizing something about me. And and my belief is if I self-tan, it will make me appear more beautiful on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I don't self-tan, the critical part of me just attacks, ridicules myself. So if I self-tan, it quiets it. It dims it down a little bit, but it doesn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and her and I are talking about that as sort of her masking, the masking, and then needing to unmask. And, and part of the work we're doing is actually her beginning to actually a, acknowledge that, acknowledge that. And what are some other things? And again, compassion, not ridicule, because we can get caught mm-hmm. up in that. And just she's starting to consciously be aware of it consciously noting it and just noting it, not necessarily needing to change it, adjust it, note it, Um, Mm -hmm. note it's happening. And then we'll, we'll probably move into a 
a phase of needing to work through it, forgive it and rewrite the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. I feel like you could attach that to like every kind of beauty thing, whether we're Botoxing, mm. dyeing our hair, like what is that intention mm-hmm. behind all those things? Yeah. And as she like moves through this, maybe her decision is to still absolutely engage in that behavior, but just where's that intention coming from or what, what is yeah. the critic chit chat going on? Yeah. Where, where's the intention? What, what value is actually behind that? And that's, yeah. that's the interesting piece is, is because it's not about needing to stop all of these things, right? Sure. If, of if course. you are yeah. someone that loves to dye your hair, get your lashes done, do anything from that external lens, I'm not going to be the person that says you cannot do that, right? Sure. <laughs> Cause that's just me criticizing, criticizing yeah. people's desires. It's always just, I'm going to be curious about that. If I can't do that, what comes up for me? Mm-hmm. How does that impact ha- impact me and, and my belief yeah. about myself? Yeah. And if I can come into a place where I'm operating from a lens of love, a lens of compassion, a lens of worth. And self-acceptance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, when I am mm-hmm. there and I make decisions from that place, rather than sitting in a lens of fear, doubt, criticism. Mm -hmm. And if I make decisions from that place, they're different. Mm -hmm. And that's in many ways, whether that's again, relationships, career, yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Diet culture, like significantly is just pumping that inner critic negatively Mm -hmm. for everyone. Right. It's just Mm -hmm. always never not good enough. You have to engage in X, Y, Z, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if and you don't then. Yeah. It's that, yeah. Scenario. If you don't do that, what, what will happen? Right? Mm-hmm. This unknown fear part and mm-hmm. yeah, diet culture, a hundred percent where it's, you know, as you go to the grocery store, like where, you know, or your meal planning before you even go to the grocery store, you're um, what, where am I sitting? Am I sitting in my inner critic and my fear and my self-doubt while I'm creating that list? Or am I actually sitting in love, Mm self-acceptance, appreciation, growth? Doesn't mean I have to have it all figured out. Like I I get to kind of move through both, but I'm going to make, I'm going to make a conscious decision when I'm in the grocery store where I can tap into that lens of, of love a little bit more than, mm-hmm. than the other, the critical piece. Yeah. So for your clients or what you've seen through the work you do with people, how fast is this process? Like, is it mm-hmm. slow work? I imagine like there's a lot of unpacking and uprooting of deep, deep roots. So yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is an easy question to answer or not. It's, you know, it, it obviously, I will of course say it's going to be different for everyone. And the, the less you have to see me, the better I always say, I yeah. always say to people, uh, of course, you know, I don't want to sign up and see people, you know, for forever. Absolutely. I have seen people that have come to me because they have some pretty significant body image or body insecurities and they really want to work on that and they dive in and do the work where we're we're meeting weekly or bi-weekly for 
a period of time, I would say after six months, and, and I've seen this on multiple occasions, um, and then they get to this place where it's a shift, a significant shift. I, there's so many clients that are jumping up for me where all of a sudden they have this shift where they have more self-acceptance and, and they teeter. Maybe it's self-acceptance or body acceptance or body confidence or it teeters back. And then guess what? They all then say, okay, now I want to talk about love. Mm-hmm. It's and, and that just seems yeah. to be the, the people that I attract, right? So, you know, I have found, yes, many times after doing some intense work, a lot of different you know, experiences that I bring in. I'm always challenging people on different sort of uh, forgiveness ceremonies or or acceptance ceremonies. So there's always a lot of that after, you know, six months, I've seen people ready to let go, but know that it can pop up. And then as soon as they let go, they then open up the door for something else in their life. And for just those that I've been seeing, they open up the door for now. I'm ready for love, like romantic love. Like relationships. Yeah. I've found a lot of inner peace and freedom in in love for within. Now I want to open that door. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I have another individual where she did do a lot of work. And I would say we probably were more eight months, nine months. And then and then she's like, now, now I want to open the door for my confidence that I feel in my body and myself to now show up in my career. Mm-hmm. So then it's, it's moving in the same, it's utilizing the same tools, but just in a different area in life. Sure. Yeah. I know that, that corny saying like, you have to love yourself first before you oh. can engage in relationships, but yeah, yeah. Your inner critic is horrible and it's blocking mm-hmm. you from you know, trusting and showing up, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I know that's, that's a saying. And, and I mean, there's a nugget of, you know, truth to it. It's not fully true. I think there's many people that are in beautiful relationships and they would say, Hey, I don't fully love myself. It's, it's a matter of, um, I'm willing to continue to work on this and grow with this and be open to this. Even when I'm in a relationship or not in a relationship, but I identify that the relationship is not the, it is not the indicator of my self, self love or worth or how loud or quiet my inner critic is that I have to own. Mm -hmm. That is my responsibility. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. So anything further you want to add or leave listeners with to summarize? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. The biggest thing I'll summarize is that this is work that I am so obviously passionate about, love it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, wish I would have had this when I was 20. Mm -hmm. It would have been a game changer. And and maybe, you know, I didn't have enough life experiences yet. (laughs) But, you know, for those that are listening, it's never too soon. And it's also never too late to start, to start this work, to start, um, really being more gentle to ourselves, Cause at the end of the day, you know, it, what really matters is that we get to just live our life from bliss, from love. It doesn't mean it's going to be that all the time. Absolutely not. But it's, it's a possibility. So that would probably be the biggest thing that I want to leave with people is that it is so possible to quiet your inner critic, to accept your inner critic, to change 
your inner critic Mm -hmm. and you will take your own journey of what that looks like. And it's doable. Mm, I love that. So hopeful. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Julie. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. So my classic closing questions. So what do you believe is the most protective action someone can take to help shield or protect themselves from diet culture? Hmm. Oh, that is a good one. I would say, honestly, it's not necessarily an action. I would say it's how I am. I, you know, have learned to embody myself. I, I almost maybe use myself as somewhat a shield if you want to protect myself that I embody that no matter what's happening externally, whether people are discussing diet culture, there's signs of diets, or you're watching a video, TikTok mm-hmm. or something, um, mm-hmm. that I myself am my, my, my own protector. And that if I embody that, if I embody that I am, I am my own protector and I get to take in what I choose, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's out external because inside won't even allow it to come in. Yeah. Awesome. And then what about for people that maybe have kids or little people in their lives that are being influenced? How can they help protect them from diet culture? Yeah. This is my tip that I give to all parents. (laughs) And, and when, when I was working in an eating disorder, it was something that, you know, I think as a team we embodied and it was a philosophy that we kind of operated on the less talk about food, the better. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, and right. We know schools talk about healthy, you know, this and that home we talk about no make a healthier choice though you've had too much sugary food no Mm -hmm. this that like sometimes you know policing the less we talk about food the less we label it the better Mm -hmm. the relationship can form and food becomes food yeah exactly what it's meant to be (laughs) love it Mm -hmm. so simple but like so enormously massive when we're mm-hmm. trying to make mm-hmm. some changes. Absolutely. Good. Okay. And then lastly, where can listeners find you and learn more about your work? Yeah, I am on Instagram. So I am Miss Julie Gerber on Instagram. And I also, you can check out my website. It's at www.julesgerber.com. And then all of my different offerings and things are on both Instagram and my website, of course my website and Instagram, you'll find my email as well. So feel free to shoot me an email if you have questions about my services or just want to chat more. I am very open as well. I also have my own podcast. So I have a podcast with a coach, a soul co-host who is also a breakup and recovery coach. So we cover all things love, dating, deep transformation and self-love. And our podcast is called Soul Talks with Sarah and Julie. Oh, I love that. Great. Mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. link all of that in the show notes as well for everyone. Well, thank you so much for sharing space. And I really appreciate you, Julie, and the work that you're doing out there. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, me on today. <laughs> thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Diet Culture Dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or subscribe. 
the more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here. Thank you.